enough fun. Good morning, Freedom Center. Come on, try that one more time just for the old man. Good morning, Freedom Center. Good morning. Good to see you guys. What a, what a blessing it is. How many of you guys are enjoying fall? Okay. By a show of hands, how many of you guys have had the consummate white girl coffee drink, the pumpkin spice latte yet? I had my first one last Thursday night, and you may have seen me jumping up and down. That wasn't because the music was playing. I just, I had a pumpkin spice latte, and that's what happens after a guy in his 50s has one. It was awesome. And uh, for those of you guys that didn't hear the announcement on the Kingdom Builder offering, can I do that now, David, or is that we're going to punish them for not being on time? Okay. Uh, they... That the goal is $30,000 to take care of our, some extra missions commitments that we have on top of the other ones, plus uh, Thanksgiving, putting the lonely and the families having a huge community meal, and Christmas for the kids in our community. The goal is $30,000. You guys gave in the last two weeks $46,000 and change. So <clears throat> now there's moments as a husband that I celebrate and others that I, I, I'm kind of scary. And, and I walked into the office and I said, you know, when you set these faith goals, Dave, you need to have more faith. And just kind of like laugh. How many of you guys know you got to stand at least 10 feet away when you say something that stupid? You know? And she looked at me and said, I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. Uh, Danny told me to say it. So it was, it was good to have friends to blame people. Uh, also, I want to let you know, if you're here today for the first time and the first time in a long time, uh, you might have noticed some things changed. This is a temporary setup we're going to do for about, is it four weeks or are we going to keep this through the holidays? Or I like it. I haven't fallen off yet, and that, that's good. I am glad, though, that we have, like, Todd, because if I do fall, I have something so I have to land on there in the front row. But uh, uh, we are today in that back room. See that big sign that says guest room that's meant nothing for the last year and a half? That's just what we called it was the guest room. But today, if you're our guest, if you're visiting with us, we'd love to hang out with you. After service, there'll be some of the pastoral staff back there. We've got some information. Just sometimes people like come and they, I liked it and they left. Like I, we don't know what to do next. And so that's kind of that next step. I want to get to know people. How do I get involved? What do you guys believe? Where are you going? Uh, why doesn't the pastor tuck in his shirt? All those theological questions people seem to want to know. So you guys ready to get in the Word today? All right, Father, bless this because this is huge. If we get this, we get everything. If we miss this, we miss everything. So help us to get this today. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. We're the students. Um, you, you, if you can speak through a donkey, you can speak through me. If rebellious fishermen and tax collectors and zealots can all come together under the, the banner of your truth, God, then we can come together under the banner of your truth. But it's got to be true. Like our heart's got to say yes to it. There's got to be this acknowledgement that's better than what I have. Otherwise, we'll just hold on to what we have. So I pray today, show us your kingdom. Oh, King of heaven, show us your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So last week we talked about lies, lies versus, uh, we called lies like an unreality. There's reality, like the reality is this is made out of plywood, it can sustain at least 197.8 pounds this morning, and then I have breakfast, so roughly 200 pounds. It can handle that. How do I know? Because it's, it's here, it's sustaining me, but if I were to say it's made out of styrofoam, but it'll hold you, how many guys know that the unreality of that styrofoam cannot sustain the surface tension of my girth? I don't know why, but the word girth always makes people laugh. That and nipples. I don't know why, but you say that in a sentence. See, I, there's, there's my proof, right? So last week we talked about lies and unreality and their effect on our souls and our society. And we quoted our, our, my favorite new theologian, who now I have a three-week relationship with, with John Mark Comer. And uh, he says this. He says, the devil's primary stratagem to drive the soul of a person and society into ruin are deceptive ideas, number one. Remember we talked about deceptive ideas, we just called them lies. The devil lies. And those lies are, are somewhat believable or they wouldn't be functional. They wouldn't work. 
but they're lies, okay, that play to disordered desires. We call that the flesh, the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X, would be a proper pronunciation of the Greek word sarx. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean flesh like my bones, my muscle, my, my tissue, but it means more than that. It means my fallen nature that always seems to want something it shouldn't have. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever seen a three-year-old in the checkout aisle at Walmart when it sees a Snickers bar and can't have it? Okay, anybody ever seen a man in his mid-50s when the cable goes out during football season? What you may notice is a real similar series of behaviors because the same problem is the same problem. It's the flesh. I want what I want, and I want it when? Bang. <laughs> Whoever said now, you said it like with great enthusiasm. Now! I want an oompa loompa now, daddy. Right? Uh, and then, so uh, the devil's primary stratagem to drive the soul and society into ruin is deceptive ideas, we call it lies, that play to a disordered desires called the flesh, which are then normalized in a sinful society, which Jesus and the apostles call the world. Now, here's an example. Again, just we're reviewing, but I think it's important to connect some dots before we get to the next one. Let's take a, a, a socially, I, I think we can talk about it without people getting too upset one way or the other because it, it doesn't really matter to most Americans anymore. Let's talk about premarital sex. Listen for the quietness. That was for my enjoyment. Deer in the head like, oh, dear God, here he goes. Okay. Um, the lie is this. You should live together before you're married. Matter of fact, you would not make a commitment to, like, a car without some sort of a testing period to find out whether or not it meets your needs, whether it has a comfortable, you know, series of blah, blah, blah. No matter how I do this, it always turns out bad, so I'll move on, right? So here's, here's the lie. And then the lie meets our flesh. Our flesh goes, you know what, I'd really rather wait until marriage. Is that what our flesh says? Our flesh says, whatever lets me have sex tonight is, must be the truth. So it's okay because we love each other. It's okay because of this, it's okay because of that, right? And then the third thing, so we see the lie, we see the flesh going, uh-huh, and then we see the world saying, not only is it, you know, not wrong that you have premarital sex, it's actually right. Because you, you should get to know each other better. You should live together for a series of years before there's a final commitment covenant called marriage. Now, here, here's the truth, though, about it. And by the way, I'm, you notice I haven't quoted the Bible yet because we're, we're not going to deal just with biblical truth. We're going to deal with societal fact. The number one contributor, the number one indicator of a marriage that will fail is they, they live together before marriage. Now, if you're living with somebody right now, I didn't just curse your relationship until you're not welcome here. But what I did say was this. Like, one of the worst things we can do is one of the things we want to do. Anybody get this? You walk by the bakery, and you smell the cinnamon rolls. One of the worst things I can do is the thing I really want to do. You, you go through Cabela's. You know what Cabela's is. It, it used to be called Toys R Us, and then we grew up. And the, the, the last thing I should do is the first thing I want to do is grab out a card from my pocket to spend money I don't have to buy something I don't need and I haven't saved for. There's no discipline in it. I just get it. I take it home. I show my wife. And then I, I have to leave for a while and go eat cinnamon rolls because of the conversation, right? So the world. Everyone has sex before marriage, and those who say otherwise are out of touch with social evolution. What is social evolution? Generally, social evolution is moving away from the bedrock of things we know to be true in the direction of things that we are speculating about and we hope are right. But in the end, we see in society the destruction of those things. So the thought, and here's the thought, the basis of all lies, right, is that God's ways are actually inferior to other ways. And God himself, in those commandments that, that are intended to bless us, position us, protect us, the, the devil would come and say, no, no, the lie is that God is actually keeping you from something better. If you would just relinquish his right to your life, if you would just cast off the constraints 
of Scripture. If you would just let society evolve into what it's always wanted to be and just do what you want to do. And if it's right to you, then it's right. And, you know, speak your truth and all this stuff. I'm, listen, I'm not mocking anything, but I'm telling you, we are doing things as a society, as a world. And we've always been doing it, by the way. It isn't like, yeah, in the last 18 months. No, how many of you guys were alive in the 60s? Let me see your hands. Okay, with, with your hands up still, how many of you guys remember the 60s? You weren't there. This is not new, all right? The founder of the Jesuits, he said it this way. I really like this. Ignatius of Loyola said, at the root of all sin is the unwillingness to trust. Everybody say trust. The unwillingness to trust that what God wants from me is only my deepest happiness. So today we're going to transition from last week kind of saying what is a lie, what's its effect on society, and we're going to talk about identity. And, and I want you to know this. The devil doesn't primarily pursue your virginity. The devil doesn't primarily pursue your sobriety. The devil doesn't primarily pursue your dignity. What the devil wants more than anything else is to own your identity, to give you one in his image and to remove from you the one that God has given you in God's image. Do you see this clearly? So let's do this. Uh, if you figure out who you are and you figure out what you're called to do, I promise you your life will be different. I also say this, if you figure out who you are and what God wants you to do, you will be a force of nature. Because once you know who you are, you do know what to do. Once you know who you are, you do know what not to do. Once you know who you are, you won't be limited in many ways by the, by the lies, by the narratives, by the limitations of the expectations of lies, the flesh, and the world around you. Here's your first thought. Number one, write this down. If you're taking notes, if you're taking pictures, but get this. Number one, you are not what people say you are. You aren't. Now you say, well, I, gee, my mom taught me that. I know. But now, now your pastor's teaching that. But in a different aspect, different way. You are not what people say you are. And guys, if you put that up on the screen there, I'd appreciate it. You are not what people say you are. There you are. Um, about, about every day, they guesstimate that there's about 4,000 commercial advertisements we come across per day. Advertising used to be smoke Pall Mall. They're better than Marlboro. It used to be drink Sanka. It's better than licking grandpa's ashtray. <laughs> but just by a little bit. <laughs> right? And then in the 40s, they noticed something had changed and that advertising had fundamentally altered, not from our product is superior, our product does this. All of a sudden it became, you'll become this if you do our product. You become this if you drive our car. Your life will look like this. Like if you smoke Marlboros, you won't be a diseased-ridden old man. No, you'll be skinny and leathered and on a horse, and you'll be out in the middle of the Colorado mountains herding wild horses and living this amazing life. Why? Because I smoke Paul or mar marbles. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, remember the, remember the old commercial? They're all sitting around a fire drinking. I forget what, what, what beer it was. And the, the phrase was this, it just don't get no better than this. And every English teacher said, you're all stupid. <laughs> it's a double negative. But the rest of us said, huh. I should build a campfire and buy some beer. Remember, remember the car? There, have you ever seen a car commercial where there's an ugly person driving it? Anybody? Drive Ferrari. Old, fat, ugly people drive them. All of a sudden, you became something if you purchased what they were selling you. 4,000 times a day, someone says to you, you'll become something if you do this. You'll be something you're not. In other words, the, the world is no longer trying to sell you a product. They're trying to sell you an identity. Sigmund Freud uh, was a messed up individual. <laughs> Sigmund, you say, well, it's a Freudian slip. If you <laughs> just, 
if you want to study a life, study Jesus. But just trust me on this. The guy was messed up. He described the masses as irrational and subject to herd instinct and outlined how skilled practitioners could, could use crowd psychology and psychoanalysis to control them in desirable ways. Now, understand this. You say, how, how is it that the Nazis were able to be so successful in getting people to exterminate a race of people, to go all out with war, to live under deprivation? How did they do that? They took Freud's teachings of crowd speak, crowd analysis, uh, psychoanalysis. They took all that stuff, and they said the fatherland, not the motherland. They, they said, you're, we're proud to be, the, you know, the Volkswagen, it's the people's car, it's the uh, Autobahn, it's, it has no limits, and we can land, you know, planes on it and resupply. We are, we are like no other nation on the planet. And remember, Hitler would always get up there, and he wouldn't say, hey, let's all do the best we can. He got up there and talked about supremacy, and he talked about, I, I remember Himmler, um, uh, not Himmler, Goering, one of his, um, who was the propositionist? Goebbel. Gerbil? Goebbel, Yeah. And he was on his wheel one time, and he was running. And, he, and they said, they talked about the Jews, and he wrote this. He said, you know, if we didn't have the advantage of the Jews as our enemies, we would have had to have found some other people because we needed somebody among us to be afraid of to generate the right response to get people to move. Isn't that sick? Well, that's Freud. Freud said, listen, before Freud, you know, I'm, I'm a premoral agent. I'm a good person. I think for myself. I'll consider, I'll make my decision. Freud came along and said, no, you have a herd mentality. And so if we can get the herd heading in one direction, we get everybody saying the same thing. Are you seeing this? So he has a nephew. The guy's name is Edward Bernays. He's the father of public relations and chief propagandist um, for the United States military during World War II. He took his uncle's stuff. Remember, Hitler saying, do this. They realized how powerful it was. They analyzed it. Bernays came back and said, let's do that. Remember, Uncle Sam wants you. It wasn't join the army and kill people. Because who wants to join the army and kill people, right? I mean, never mind. Let me, don't get me started. After Twin Towers come down, want to join the army, want to kill people. But, and after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, this generation wants to join the army, wants to kill people. But the real men join the Marines. Can I get a witness, right? So this is what Bernays says. Put that thing up there, will you? Uh, don't do it the wrong way. Go the other direction, please. There you go. Uh, Edward Bernays says, it was, of course, the astounding success of propaganda during the war that opened the eyes of the intelligent few. Does that make you nervous, that phrase? Of the, of the intelligent few in all departments of life to the possibilities of regimenting a public mind. Now understand, let's get into Scripture this morning. Mark chapter 3, verse 23. I've said all this to say this. Everything that we're being tested with, Jesus passed those tests. Every temptation we've had, every evil we've been, has come our way, Jesus was tempted in the same way we were tempted, yet without sin. He was tested in the wilderness. And on it goes. Mark chapter 3, verse 22 says this. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem, said, he's possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. What are they saying? Go to the next guys with the slides. Man, thank you. Can you go to the scripture, please? Put the scripture up. There you go. If I read it, it should be on the screen, or I love you. <laughs> so the teacher of the law, what are they doing? The, 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 the people show up on the screen. Jesus casting out demons. People are going, wow, this is amazing. But what they do is they come with, no, 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 we have robes. No, no, we, we have beards. There's one of him, but there's a bunch of us. And they come with this authority and say, no, no, let me just say what's happening. Now, did they have any clue how Jesus was casting out demons? So what were they doing? They were trying to control the narrative to control the crowd. And this is the narrative. If he is what he claims to be and he's doing what he's actually doing, we're out of a job. So they began to manipulate with crowd think, with herd mentality. Look at this. And turn the slides. It says, Satan questioned Jesus' sonship. Mark chapter 4. 
verses 3 and 6, and Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God. Now, he just got baptized, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved, what? With whom I am well pleased. Everybody listen to him. The Spirit descends him. So you got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all in one picture, right? And he says, if you are the Son of God. What's he doing? Again, he's not after his virginity. He's after his identity. If he can get him to, say, to, to somehow in a, in a loop to prove that he is, can you make a rock that's so big that even you can't lift it? If you can get him in some sort of a feudalistic proving of, how many guys know if you know who you are, you don't have to prove it to anybody? One of the great advantages, like if, if you know like Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and you can tie the average man into a knot, and somebody gets in your face, you're as calm as you were when you got out of bed that morning. Why? Because if he takes a swing, it'll be the last thing he ever does. And you get a cool story. I'm in your face. I'm, 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 and, and you're not intimidated. Why? Because I know who I am. And I know what I can do. All you have is idle threats. There's nothing worse. You can do nothing more to me than breathe in my face with your bad breath. But beyond that, you can't harm me. Look at this. Even while he's being crucified, Jesus uh, was being crucified. People tried to tell Jesus who they thought he was. Matthew 27, verse 39 says this. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Did Jesus say that? Yes, he did. He said, you see these things, I, you know, it goes, it'll be torn down, I can rebuild it in three days. What he's talking about is the resurrection of his body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But they're mocking him. You think you're this, but you're nothing. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Isn't that funny? The same words the devil spoke are the same words people are speaking. Let me just say that again, because that was too good of a point to pass up. The same words the devil spoke are the same people that are the same words that people, crowds, are saying the same thing, right? Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And the same way the chief priests, boy, look at this group, look at this crowd. The teachers, the law, the elders, they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. They're mocking him. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, he says. I'll let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. There is back to that identity. In the same way the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Can you imagine breathing the final breaths of your life? And what do you choose to do with those moments? Let's just make fun of the guy next to me. Now, I got problems. But I don't have that kind of problems. If I'm dying, I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about my kids. I'm thinking about my grandkids. I'm thinking about you. You know what they're thinking about? I can feel better if I make somebody else feel worse. Like, I just want to say this. It is that deeply ingrained in the flesh to destroy other people. It, it is difficult. It is, di it is crucifying the flesh difficult to forgive sometimes. You get me? And yet, do we know that Scripture tells us, commands us to forgive? Matter of fact, we're not forgiven if we don't. Right? So it's, it's commanded. Well, I, I really don't feel like it. And Scripture comes back and says, because I love you, I really don't care about your feelings. Not right now. Right now what's important is you let go of the thing that's poisoning your soul and destroying your life and causing bitterness. And lose. You've got to be free. You've got to forgive. Listen, people say all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. What they say doesn't matter. Please hear me. Deafen your ears. Deafen your ears. Is there a way to get away from the 4,000 commercials? Yeah, but, but it's kind of boring out on the Amish farms. I mean, how often do you raise a barn? That's cool. But the rest of it, like, hello, Shem. Hello, Japheth. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I, maybe I imagine it that way. Something about driving down the road, instead of seeing everything, you see a horse butt. Like, that bothers me. I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. 
when apples means two things in your household? I don't care for that, right? So what they say doesn't matter, but hear me. The purpose of them saying is not because they, they, it matters. They want you to believe what they say because if they get you to believe what they say, guess who your new daddy is? Guess who your master is? Guess what you'll do anything for? Because if I lose this, if I, this identity, this purpose, this dream, I lose everything. Guys, what they believe about you matters, but what you believe about you matters more. What you believe about you. This Thursday night, I get to speak to a room full of young people. I'm going to tell them they have a purpose for their life. Because I believe that someone who knows who they are and what they're created for has a better chance of abstaining from the things of this world, being safe, not, not looking to some boy to tell her she's pretty or some, some girl to tell him he's masculine. I, I, I believe that our kids know who they are, then they'll know what to do, right? But this is why they speak. This is why the devil speaks. This is why our flesh speaks. This is why the world speaks. They're not after our virginity, but they are after our identity. You don't become what they say, but you do become what you believe. You do become what you believe. One of my good friends, Adam Cook, uh, who was on staff here for years, grew up here, and just a wonderful guy. Polly's boy. You know, Polly's over there, and, and her son is a great, great teacher, great pastor. And I call him sometimes when I'm having an especially rough time. And it is not uncommon for him to say what's on the screen behind me. I don't know what to do, Adam. I feel like this, and I feel like that, and sometimes I just want to, and I don't, so I just, I'm, I, it's hard to, and I don't, I can't figure it out, why are people so, and I just don't, you know, and he'll say, listen, do you know who you are? Like, I'll answer the phone, he'll say, he'll say, hey, legend, I picture like Will Smith killing zombies, it's so cool. Hey, legend, hey, you know what he'll say to me often after I'll say that, he goes, well, you know what, God's going to speak to you, because you're a good leader. And, and this is what, this is the part of that, because when you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. When he disciplines his children, let's, let's say, for example, one child misbehaves and smacks the, the sibling. He doesn't say, if you ever hit her again, I will throw you, I will barbecue your soul. I will, but you want, you want to see what a bully looks like? Come here. You know what he says? He, first thing he says is, you're a kind young man, and kind young men don't hit their sister, even when they deserve it. You're a good boy, and good boys don't disobey their mother. You're a good boy. In other words, he doesn't point out what's wrong. He points out what's right. He tells them who they are because when you know who you are, come on, you'll know what to do. You're not what people say about you. Secondly, you are not what people have done to you. You're not what people say about you, and you're not. You are not what people have done to you. Now, please, I, I, I will do the best I can, although I, I'll admittedly fall short. I cannot tell you um, how sorry I am for what you've been through. I, you say, Jim, you didn't do it to me. I know. Uh, or Jim, you did do it to me. I know. Causing each other pain seems to be what we're best at. By the end of this life, I doubt anybody lays their head on their pillow for the takes their last breath because I didn't hurt a soul. And I have no regrets. I would imagine it's more common to go, man, if I'd only, I would have, I should have, I could have had a time machine. If I could go back in time, I would have never, I would have always. How many guys know what I'm talking about, right? But, but understand this. I'm not saying that the hands that, that hit the clay of your life in, in terrible ways didn't happen. I'm saying please recognize that there's another set of hands that wants to form the same clay. And, and to focus on only what that which has damaged us is to walk this world as a victim. And I would say this, there are people in this room, probably all of us, that have been victimized at one point or another. You get that? Whether somebody cut you off in traffic or someone took away your childhood or anything in between, all of us have experienced being victimized by somebody else. But please just hear me for a second. Being a victim 
is a momentary diagnosis. It is not a new identity. When we realize what's been done to us, now we, now we have to understand there's a path laid before us to no longer be a victim. I was victimized in one way or another. I, I, nothing actually even comes to mind. But I'm sure someone ripped me off. Someone lied to me. Someone broke my heart. Someone stole something from me. So whatever it was. We've all been victimized. But I would say this. Like, please, please, please. If I lived in my worst moments, I would live a life unworthy of the glory of God. Because I, w- I would be in that, that position. How many of you know that if, if Cheryl Harkness is the sweetest person I know, so I'm going to use her as an example only because no one would believe this in a million years about Cheryl. If Cheryl came to me and kicked me right in the shins, and she did something really mean, like left the walnuts out of the muffins that she bakes for me all the time, like really horribly victimized, right? And I live with that my, my walnutless muffin life. You know what? Cheryl didn't put walnuts in my, in my muffins, and you know what? I bet you, I bet you my wife was to put walnuts in my, I, I bet you my daughter-in-law for Thanksgiving, she's going to make that little, you know, sweet potato pie. She's going to leave the walnuts off. As a matter of fact, I don't trust that anybody even puts walnuts in anything anymore. And all of a sudden, one situation, I forgot my shins, by the way, because I really like walnuts. <laughs> but all of a sudden, one situation becomes my whole reality. Hear me. Come on, guys that watch the news too much. Come on, people that get on social media too much and argue about things. Please hear me. Yeah, they forgot to put walnuts on your sweet potato pie. You were victimized by that. Now get the frick over it. Did I say that too hard? Okay, I I, I urge thee, brethren, by the beloved, to get the frick over it. Now, and I started that statement by saying I'm sorry, and I, I got off track by kind of being so sweeping and sarcastic, but I... I just, seriously, like, it, 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 it's awful. Life is hard. That's it. Life is hard. <laughs> like, there's a comma. What comes next? Now is a period. Life is hard. Um, the Bible and history speaks of unspeakable tragedies against human beings. What happens in war, what happens in commerce, what happens nation against nation, what happens in families, what happens when nobody's looking, what happens when you let a guard down. It's, it's, it's an unspeakable history. But there's nothing greater than Joseph. Joseph... Genesis chapters 35 through 50 talks about this life of Joseph. It, it says that he was attacked by his own brothers. It says he was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused by his master uh, of rape. His wife kind of had it out for him, and he said no because he was an honorable man and didn't take another man's life. And for that, he was accused of rape and then imprisoned, wrongly, then forgotten by his prisoner friends. And for 13 years, it, it appears that not a single just thing happened in his life. 13 years. I'm just... I don't know how long 13 years is. To a 13-year-old, that's like a lifetime. For 13 years, not a single good day, right? And what does he say about all the people have done to him? He says this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says, hear me. This is his heart now. He says, you, talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You do not have control of the narrative of my life. You do not have the authority to tell me who I am. Piano guy, join me. You do not have the right. You do not have the authority. You do not have the power. There is one voice in my life that is preeminent above every other voice, and it is not going to be yours. There's one set of actions that define my life, and it will not be your actions. There is one reality above all the other things that are real in my life. You did not trump God because God has the right. God has the authority. God has the way. Now, during the 13 years, I don't know if he feels this way, to be really honest with you. There doesn't seem to be a sense of he's so discouraged he can't take it anymore. But it also doesn't be the sense of, yeah, but any day now, 
I'm going out of prison. So somewhere between these things, there's this reality of him just saying, I guess I'm going to trust and move forward. I guess I'm going to trust and move forward. I guess I'm going to trust and move forward. Corey Ten Boom, um, you may know that name, but in World War II in the Netherlands, her father was a watchmaker, and they're hiding the Jews as they were escaping from the, the Nazi persecution. And this is what she says about life. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Is that beautiful? Listen, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what yesterday did to you. I don't know who's still speaking in your life. I don't know what's been done to you. But I know this. The future is unknown. But God is not unknown. God is known. Remember, you're not what people say about you. And you're not what people do to you. So then, if you're not what people say about you. And you're not what people do to you. Then, who are you? I want to put up this last verse here. This last screen. It says, you are God who says you are. And you are what Jesus has done for you. Put that up there. John 3.16. Just, just John 3.16 for a moment. This is what I know about you. And this is what I want you to know about you. You still here? I know about you that you are incredibly, deeply, eternally, powerfully, irreversibly loved. I know that. I, and, and it's not me, by the way. It's not, I love you that much. Listen, I don't love Michigan football that much. I don't love pizza that much. When, when we talk about love as this decision, this final decision that sets a paradigm of treatment, this final decision that creates this, this covenant, that this eternal, I decided to, better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health. When God says to the world, I love you so much, I love you so much. The next one, that I'm going to redeem you at a great price. 1 Peter 1.8 talks about the great price that was paid for us. That wasn't because God was obligated by some sort of religious thing or some sort of moral taxation. It's not a bill he has to pay. This is a son and a daughter that he ransoms. There is no prayer about it. This morning in Haiti, there were 17 missionaries that were kidnapped. Uh, as of right now, we don't think that any of our missionaries, the AP reported that they're from Ohio. They had visited an orphanage. They're heading to someplace else, uh, to the airport, and then to another orphanage. And they were, they were taken by armed gunmen. And as we know right now, nobody knows where they are. You've been to Haiti. I know you're already praying, but let's continue to pray until they return safely. Do you know why they were taken? They were taken because they want money. Well, let me ask you this. What is a person worth? If that was your daughter that just got kidnapped, what do you have? And I would tell you that whatever you have, I bet you you'd give that, sell that, get rid of that to redeem your daughter. Am I right? If it's your son, maybe half of that, but still. If it was your wife, if it was your grandmother, it was a complete stranger, right? Why? Because I want them to be free. I want them to be safe. I, how can I look at my TV set knowing they're in bondage? How can I look at glory in heaven for eternity knowing that there was a society, a culture, a group of children that were born into sin that needed a Savior? And I said, no, I'd rather have my TV. I'd rather have my glory. Somebody know the greatest glory that God will have is when we come home, all of us together. And we'll say together, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It was by your great love and by the great price of paying with the life of Jesus that we are now free. And this is what it says. John chapter 8, verse 36, you are free. He who the Son sets free, we already said, is what? Free indeed. What's that mean to be free? It, listen, we have, we have an understanding of freedom that I'm concerned about. Freedom means the freedom to do whatever I want to do. How many of you know that's not really freedom? Freedom, as the Bible describes it, is not freedom to do what I want to do. It's freedom to do what is best. It's freedom to do what is right. It's freedom to be free. It's freedom to behave, to react, to respond in a way that is right. He who the Son sets free will know freedom. A freedom to do what you were created to do. A freedom to be who God says you are. 
It talks about being blessed. Ephesians 1, verse 5. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You're chosen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. I was like, ah, mankind. It's like, no, there's, there's Dina and there's Cheryl and, and, and there's, there's Mrs. Houle and there's, right? Like, it's not this, it's not this sense of everybody, blanket statement, bought the whole farm. He knows the hairs on the head of his children. And he buys us with this great price. We're chosen. And the last thing is this. We're going to talk more about this next week. But you've got a purpose. There's a reality. There, there's, a, there's a more than. If you thought Christianity was another sin management morality menu, it's not. It is life. It is truth. It is action. It is purpose. And is the only thing in my life that's ever brought an ounce of satisfaction in this world. Being who God created me to be, doing what God's created me to do, is more fun than doing anything else. Guys, this is who God says you are. This is what God's will is for your life. This is what Jesus died and rose from the dead for. So here's my last question. What will you do with this? You might be looking at it and go, I, I, I know God loves the whole world, but I also know God did, knows what I did last week, so... I, I know that I'm supposed to be free, but to be honest with you, I'm not. Uh, I know it is to be blessed with every spiritual blessing, but I'm having a hard time making a mortgage payment right now, so forgive me if I, I find that statement to be less than illuminating. Chosen. Like, yeah, I, I get it in a sort of a pitying way. God chose me because he's God and he kind of has to, you know. I have a purpose. Yeah, I, I probably do, but I'm so deep into stupidity, loss, grief what people did to me, what people said about me, I didn't want to get find my way back. What, what you just did, if that's you, and don't raise your hand, because like, how many of you guys are ashamed? Raise your hand. Nobody would, right? How many of you guys are afraid to raise your hand? It's one of those things. But, but I want you to hear me. I need you to hear me. That's who God says you are. And that's what God has done for you. Yeah, but the bumper sticker, the commercial, the sociology professor, my neighbor, my ex-spouse, my kid even, my dog bit me. That feels real too. There's a reality that is temporary to the lies of the devil. There's a reality that's eternal to the truths of Jesus. And so now we are left saying, what do we do with this? If, if that's who I am, not, that's what I'm supposed to be and I'm so guilty that I'm not. Stop it, you're so loved. You're not so guilty, you're so loved. But I'm so lost that God sent his son so he could pay a high price for you. But I, I'm unworthy of this. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I built up a tab that ran into the trillions of dollars. I made the national debt look like lunch before a holy God, and he paid it. And my ledger was zeroed, and I'm free from the consequences even of my own, my own actions. I just want to say this to you in closing today. If you're here today, and you're like, I didn't know God was like this. I thought God was like this vengeant, Hebrew fairy tale, easy to ignore idea of man, manipulative, religious, you have missed. And I'll tell you why you missed it. Because the devil's a good liar, because your flesh is prone to rejecting the truth, and because the world around us has built a system in which wrong seems right and right seems wrong. Father, I just pray for the Holy Spirit. I, I, my words always seem to come to a certain place and stop, but your, your words continue, and I pray right now, Jesus, you would arrest us. You would convict us. You would sentence us. And you'd commit that sentence to the most beautiful act of forgiveness. I'm still convicted of my sins, but I'm not condemned by one of them. 
I'm convicted because I, I see holiness as something that I really want to be when I grow up, something I'm heading towards, something that is a higher blessing than any any worldly pleasure. I, I see holiness as a as a draw, not as something that repels me. God, I, I feel I feel the conviction of the Spirit when I transgress those laws, but I am no longer condemned because your love and your your price that you've paid, the blood of Jesus, has cleansed me once and for all. And I just stand before you today as a son learning how to walk. We stand before you today, God, as sons and daughters learning how to walk with you. So we thank you for mercy and its effect in our lives. Listen, in 60 seconds we'll be done. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. We've asked for the Spirit of God to move. We've declared the truth of the Word of God. And here's, here's the final question to be answered. What will you do with this? If you reject it, it's because you believe a lie. And maybe that's too bold, but I'm just going to say it. I'm not worthy, the Bible says you are. I'm not loved, the Bible says you are. What he did for me is not as great as what I've done to me, the Bible says you're wrong. What will you do with an ancient text of holy truth that reveals a heart that's attached to a hand that is reaching out to you right here, right now? What will you do with it? You can slap it away. That is your free will. You can hold on to it. eyes are closed. That hand that you spoke of, if you would today say, you know what, I, I want this Jesus. I do. I want this Jesus. I don't want a religious Jesus. I don't want some fake imitation. I, I want the Jesus of Scripture to do in my life what he's promised to do. I want to be who he says I am. I want every sin to be forgiven, every past to be forgotten, every destiny to be birthed in me. And in this moment, I want to know the truth, and I want that truth to set me free. And that's you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Jim, that's me. I come to three all over this room. Men, women, children, the elderly, the, the youth, the millennials, the Gen Zs, the, the boomers, the everybody in this room that has a free will to raise a hand to God and say, I'll take that. I will not slap your hand away. I will take hold of that hand as that hand was reached for me in this moment. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand all over this room. take it, I'll never give it back. I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. I will take that hand and I'll never take it away. Father, I thank you for lifting hands all over this room. I pray now, God, I pray now, God, for your spirit to move inside. We don't go to church to feel the spirit. We inhale and he's there. We exhale and he's there. I pray mercy. I pray life. I pray truth. I pray a new reality, a real reality. I pray, God, that you would teach as a father teaches sons and daughters. I pray we'd stop the trivial pursuits of temporary stuff. I pray that the crowd would quit manipulating us in its direction so we'll do what they want us to do. I pray we'd hear one voice, one voice, one truth, one word, one baptism, one Savior, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm not joining a church. I'm, I'm not making a, some sort of a weird commitment to a religion, but I am saying yes to an offer from an individual who lived and died for me 2,000 years ago and rose from the dead now is seated at the right hand of the Father saying, come home. I'll teach you how to walk. I'll teach you how to dance. I'll teach you how to fly. I'll teach you how to be you. And I'll challenge everything that says anything about my kid that ain't true. Father, that's our prayer today. Move in, Jesus. Move in, Jesus. Move in, Jesus. And everybody say amen. 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 Well, this has been a good time.
I, I don't usually say the word frick, so I apologize for that. I don't know where that came from. I said it twice, so I apologize twice. I'm also reliving this. Yeah, the used car thing probably wasn't great either. Um, other than that, though, I'd, I'd, I'd stand by most of what I said. You guys good? All right, stand your feet then all over this room. So if, if you'd stand by that, then, then my, my hope is you'll walk in it. That, that matter of fact, if you haven't taken a picture of that last screen, it'd be a good screen to take a picture of. This is what God says you are. Uh, who does God say I am.com? I just made that up, but I bet you it's there. I bet you it's like 100 different scriptures. But when you know who he made you to be, you'll behave the way he created you to behave. That make sense? And when you don't, man, you're just devil bait. So don't be that. God created you for so much more. Live long, prosper. God bless you. I will see you all soon. Remember, guest room. We're going to head back there if you're new or haven't been around for a while. Love to hang out with you and kind of drink some free coffee. That's better than...